a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. America's Voice of Reason. Boyd Matheson on Utah's home for elevated conversation. Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. Very thrilled to have joining us on the program today, Derek Scissors, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on Chinese and Indian economies and on U.S. economic relations with Asia. He currently is the chief economist of the China Beige Book and uh, just some great writing and some great thinking as always. And obviously on a day like today, Derek, where we've got lots of uh, rumblings from President Putin and uh, President Biden delivering a speech in Poland and uh, China obviously making overtures of uh, a President Xi trip uh, to Moscow in the spring. Uh, give us a, a little bit of the lay of the land in terms of where are we really uh, as it relates to China? Uh, well, let's let's start with Ukraine. The Chinese simultaneously don't want to be tied up in Russia's war on Ukraine. I mean, they didn't start the war. They didn't want the war. Um, they don't want to be dragged into it in any significant way. But they also don't want the Russians to lose because the Russians are much more on their side than they are on our side. They see the United States, Chinese Communist Party sees the United States as as its biggest external threat. So they're kind of caught here where they want to show support for the Russians and encourage the Russians and say, hey, hang in there. Uh, But they don't want to be dragged into the war. And that's why you get things like trips rather than, you know, real Chinese assistance to the Russians in Ukraine. Yeah, so important to look at that. And uh, I love in the uh, New China Playbook, uh, which you have there at AEI, I want to go down some of the components that you've been calling out as it relates to China, things that uh, we really need to be looking at and considering kind of holistically, uh, starting with the economics of it all. Give us a sense of where China is economically and uh, what the state of the world means to them. So there are two kind of contradictory ideas here. One, China's not taking over the world economically. They have significant problems. They have problems from their zero COVID policy, which prevented a lot of economic activity. Uh, They're aging rapidly. They've run up a lot of debt. We've run up a lot of debt here, and China's actually run up more. They don't want to let their private sector innovate because the Communist Party is afraid of the private sector. So a lot of weights on the Chinese economy. Um, And we've seen that if you follow China. It's growing much more slowly than it was 10 years ago. We'll continue to see that 10 years from now, we might I have a difficult time recognizing uh, China as as an old, slowing economy as compared to now. The flip side of that is that does not make them less dangerous economically. It probably makes them more dangerous. They're going to try to steal more intellectual property from the United States. They're going to try to coerce countries to give them the resources they want and to cut favorable trade deals. So China is not a juggernaut, but it is an economic risk. Yeah, and uh, dig into that just a little bit more for me, will you, Derek? What what does that mean in terms of the dance we have to do in terms of our economic interconnectedness uh, with China? 
Well, it's a dangerous thing for us to be dependent on the Chinese. And the example I always use is pharmaceuticals. The Chinese are the globally dominant producer of the chemicals that go into the pharmaceuticals. So they don't necessarily make the pill that's on your shelf, but they make the chemicals that go into the pill. And if they stop providing them, the pills disappear. So if we get into a, a confrontation with China over Taiwan, where China wants to take away the democratic rights of 24 million Taiwanese the way they did in Hong Kong and use force to do it, if that happens, hopefully it won't, um, they're going to threaten us economically. They're going to say, do you like your, your pharmaceutical products? you want those to be available? There are other things, but I'm using pharmaceuticals as an example. Yeah. This is not a good situation for the United States to be in. The, China is run by a cult of personality dictator named Xi Jinping, who intends to stay in office until he's dead. And if you read the Chinese press every day, as I do, you, you see him treated in a way that looks like a movie villain. Um, Oh, what did Xi Jinping do today? How can I be more like Xi Jinping? These are really things that show up in the press. You don't want to be dependent on that person. Yeah. Uh, and, and pharmaceuticals are an example. That there are plenty of others. Um, but that's, a, that's the risk we're running here where we're too dependent on China. Why are we too dependent on China? Because it's profitable, because they make low-cost chemicals that keep drug prices lower, uh, as an example. Um, so we're, we have this trade-off of economic gains now versus risk later. Yeah. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. I want to dive into that diplomatic component to, to all of this, and I actually want to stay uh, tangentially with the the pharmaceutical component to this. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, with the uh, spy balloon going over the the United States and, and all that that has uh, brought to the surface, uh, there's also the component of the chemicals for fentanyl uh, that are coming from China mm-hmm. uh, into Mexico and then across the border uh, into just a, a brutal thing here in the United States. Uh, how does that get handled? How do we start to deal with that uh, from a uh, from a diplomatic front, and how is uh, China going to continue to to have a diplomatic space around the world? Right. I mean, I've talked about chemicals for pharmaceuticals that are helpful to people. There are also chemicals for pharmaceuticals that are really unhelpful to people and deadly. Uh, and the Chinese are the dominant producer of those chem- chemicals, too. So fentanyl would exist without China, but there would be a lot less of it. It would be a lot harder to get. Um, you, you can't really negotiate with them, this particular Chinese government over them. They're always going to want something more. Uh, well, you want us to crack down on fentanyl shipments? Well, they're not hurting our people. Why should we do that? And then they're going to demand something unethical or immoral stop talking about the concentration camps in Xinjiang. You know, don't have an alliance with a, a country near us because we don't want you to. Uh, we're going to have to handle this ourselves. We, we cannot, you know, the Chinese 
I don't think it was intentional. I think it was an accident. But nonetheless, COVID started in China. They've been lying about it nonstop for three years. You're not going to get their cooperation on this without giving up something you really don't want to give up. So fentanyl is something that we have to try to take care of ourselves without looking to China to help us out. Not easy, but but again, that's the same thing as with regard to being self-reliant uh, for for prescription drugs. You know, the, the, it's interesting. China has certainly taken a diplomatic being in the last few years. I'd like to say it's because of their their dangerous behavior, but I think it's actually because of their weaker economy. Mm-hmm. And if their economy comes back after zero COVID, I think their diplomatic stature could rise again in the world. Right now, people don't see China as that economically valuable, so they don't listen as much to to, to various Chinese demands. Um, but we'll see if that if if, the, if this is a good year for the Chinese economy, whether their diplomatic space will expand and we'll get more Chinese lying about COVID and threatening other countries and so on. Yeah. Uh, and let's let's jump to a second to what is it that President Xi f- fears, uh, especially as it relates to the West or to the United States, uh, because clearly uh, he, he feels pretty emboldened in a lot of spaces. Uh, Taiwan, I think he seems to be playing the waiting game uh, and looking for an opportun- opportunistic moment. But is there is there anything that they fear at this point in terms of the West or the U.S. specifically? I mean, Xi Jinping, as I said, wants to stay in power till he's dead. Um, there's no successor. He's, you know, he's entering. He's in his 11th year as, as head of the party. He's never bothered to name a successor because a, a successor might replace him, and he doesn't right. want that. Um, so, you know, what's the th- the main threat to that? Remember, I said the United States is the biggest outside threat. The main threat to that is unhappiness within the Communist Party that people are going to get tired of him, and that is going to happen. You can't stay in power forever. And he doesn't seem to have an exit plan. So where does the United States come in? We come in as, as his, his, his fear of us is that we'll back opposition within the party and opposition within the country, that we're a threat to his political position. He's not thinking about what's best for China first. If he were thinking about what's best for China first, his COVID policies would be different. His treatment of the private sector would be different. His treatment of his own people generally would be different. Um, there'd be a lot less surveillance. He's considering thinking of his own position, we're the most powerful ally that people within China who don't like him could have. So that's the number one concern he has about the U.S. We're not going to start a war over Taiwan. That's in his control. I, I want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to do it five years from now. But what's not in his control is the opposition he's caused in his own country. And that's where he sees us as a threat. Great insight, as always. Derek Scissor, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, uh, focused on China and uh, Indian economies there, part of a, a new China playbook, uh, America's Chance to Exploit the CCP's Failures. Uh, great insight, Derek, and uh, I know we barely scratched the surface. We're going to have you come back uh, and do a deeper dive on some defense and uh, some of the uh, human rights issues there as well, but we appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Happy to come back and enjoyed it. Great insight there uh, in terms of what's the China component to everything going on. And uh, this has been a day where we have seen just how challenging this interconnected world that we live in can be. From China to Russia to Ukraine to our allies in Europe to uh, the rest of us all around the world, uh, it is a complicated and complex world that we live in. It requires a lot of nuance. It can't be summed up in a social media post or a tweet. Uh, It cannot be done by yelling and screaming at each other. We have to go past headlines. We have to dig into the policy. And ultimately, we have to get to the principles that allow us to continue to live together, to recognize our differences, to make sure that the values that matter to us, that we can live those within our country, and that we can make sure that no dictator can invade, uh, take away sovereignty or freedom 
or self-determination. It's complicated and it's complex, and we'll continue to break it out and break it down here on Inside Sources with the best of the best of the Inside Sources from across the country and around the world. We're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to look at what's going on right here in Washington, D.C. with the Supreme Court. Important cases coming up. We'll talk about those coming up next. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.